came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, the Cats Roundtable. And happy 4th of July weekend. It will be a great weekend for all Americans. And we have a great show for you today. We have Governor David Patterson to tell us what the heck is going on in New York, along with Congressman Peter King. Steve Cates, what's going up in the skies and what mysteries does he have for us today? Ed Cox, what he's worried about in Albany. Thomas Kniff, worried about our Marine. Mr. Penny, who should be getting a ticket tape parade for saving the people on the subway. Let's start with my friend Mike Stoller that's going to talk about the real estate industry in New York. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Casamitidis Roundtable. This morning I have one of the most active developers in the city of New York and even, I believe, in uh, Seattle also or Arizona. It's Douglas Dennis Developments, CEO Jed Resnick. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you. So how do we look at the time today as a developer? I mean, it's difficult times. There's political issues. There are financing issues. There's a definite need for housing. So how do you look at it today? Well, Michael, I think I've said before, this is in some ways the best of times and the worst of times in New York City development. Housing demand has never been higher. Rent and occupancy have never been higher. There are more people who want to live here who need homes. At the same time, it's probably never been harder to build anything. And uh, we're seeing it lots of different aspects of the market right now. We're seeing it in astronomically high rent on the market rate side. We're seeing it in extremely low vacancy. We're seeing it in an increase in homelessness. The migrant crisis doesn't help. The fact is that lots and lots of people want to live here. More people want to live in New York City than ever before, and we just need more places to put them. So you're active right now in four of the boroughs. You're not not active in the borough of, of Queens, right? I Amazingly, we're active in four boroughs, and the one that's missing is Queens. So if you have any ideas, please, we'd love we'd love to be able to can to we Can we find some more land? You know, I, I mean, development only takes place if you have land. Okay, are we going to do a, a landfill? You know, there's land out there. The problem we have is is without any 421A or any substitute or replacement or any other kind of tax abatement for mixed income rentals, it's just, it's not something that we can do. Given. So, you know, for my audience, let's talk about what, what the 421A program was and what you'd like to see. Sure, sure. So 421A for decades was the principal financing mechanism for mixed income housing. And it's changed a lot over the years. In the most recent iteration, developers would set aside 20 to 30% of the unit, new units to be constructed for permanently affordable housing and would, or rather I should say, I should say for, for uh, uh, 40 years of affordable, of affordability locked in. And in exchange would receive an exemption from the increase in taxation that results from their development. So the property would continue to pay whatever tax it was paying, whatever whatever uh, assessment was currently on that that land. But we the um, the city would defer the phase in of any new taxes as a result of building a, a bigger, newer building, and that really enabled developers to build all across the city, not just significant new supply that that helps moderate increases in market rent, but it was the principal mechanism to build affordable housing in high opportunity neighborhoods. And without it, we're really concerned that 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 activity is going to drop off. Let's talk about your new developments, the baby that you're involved with on on Atlantic Avenue. Sure. So it's a very, very exciting project. It is potentially our, our last 
big mixed income rental for a while. It's 456 units on Atlantic Avenue between Franklin and Classen. We closed our acquisition of the land and our financing about three weeks ago. And it is it's a very exciting project. It was rezoned by the sellers who, with whom we've partnered on the development and was taken from a, a one-story manufacturing district to what will be a 17-story uh, mixed-income project. It's uh, 137 of the units are set aside for families averaging 80% of area median income. So it's a significant increase in affordable housing. And because it's financed with 421A or the Affordable New York program, which was its its most recent incarnation, there's not a, a dollar of city, state, or federal subsidy. So we get to create 137 affordable units, 456 units overall, and we don't we don't need any any uh, government money to do it, which is which is really remarkable. Right now, you're also involved with uh, senior housing. Tell me about that. We are we are we're very active on our affordable affordable housing platform in the senior space. We just received a TCO a couple weeks ago on a project on Webster Avenue in the Bronx on a 99-year ground lease we executed with the New York Botanical Garden back in 2000. So we we built a 188-unit building. It's 100% age-restricted for seniors. It's 100% Section 8. So it serves seniors earning less than 50% of AMI. And those seniors will pay 30% of their income regardless of, of what that income is. And we have, we'll have project-based Section 8 vouchers that will pick up the rest of the, uh, of the rent. So it's really a fantastic program. It's a deep, deep need in the city. Now, this is a, we, have an, we have an aging population. We have a growing population. But we also have an aging population. And New Yorkers of means have a lot of options as they age. They, some of them go to Florida. Some of them you know, move, move closer to their children somewhere else. Some of them age in place. But lower-income New Yorkers just don't have as many options, and it's something that we're really excited to participate in. How do you look at the the end of the year, the balance of the year, with regard to interest rates, developments, and so on? Well, I wish I could guess at interest rates. Your, your guess is as good as mine. It seems like we are maybe leveling off a little bit, maybe taking a little bit of a pause on rate increases. The most recent inflation numbers were encouraging. Seems like the Fed is is getting it under control, which, which we're excited to see. I hope that if interest rates stabilize a little bit, it'll bring a little bit more comfort to the capital markets, that people will start to feel a little bit better about, about repaying some of their short-term debt. You know, we haven't seen long rates increase as nearly as much as short rates. So if, if we see some things stabilize there, it'll just be good to get capital churning again. Uh, some of my banker friends say that they can't lend us a lot of money because nobody's paying them back. So if we can if we can start to see some some capital cycling around, it will just be great for everybody. So as I would say on my TV show with my crystal apple, the apple seems to be semi-bright for the future. But it's definitely bright for my friends at Douglas and Development. I'd like to thank Jed Resnick for being the CEO, for being on the show today. Thank you so much. This is John Katzman-Tedes. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Katzman Table. We'll be right back. He's a self-made billionaire. He ran for mayor. Now he's on the radio. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Daniel Penny, who was involved in the chokehold death of homeless man Jordan Neely, he was arraigned just a few hours ago. And some really powerful comments coming from his legal team after the arraignment. Joining us now is the attorney for the former Marine, Daniel Penny, Thomas Kenneth. Thomas, great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, talk about the arraignment um, and also the statements afterwards. Obviously, in the arraignment today, he pled not guilty. Talk about where the defense goes from here. Yeah, hey, Rita, always 
always good to be joining you guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the arraignment is mostly a, a procedural formality at this point. A lot of people are confused and said, well, you know, why was there the arraignment that happened a few weeks ago? And then this one, well, you know, that's just a procedural mechanism in New York. First, you have a criminal court arraignment. Then if when there's an indictment, as there was in this case, you go to Supreme Court and get arraigned. So, and then, know, but then about- afterwards, afterwards, you guys came out and you basically said <laughs> it is not just him on trial. It's basically self-defense is on trial. I thought that was really powerful. Explain that to our audience. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was actually my law partner, Stephen Razor, that made that comment. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember growing up and, and at some point, I think in elementary school, learning about Kitty Genovese. And that was a case that I think my social studies teacher had touched on. And if those, those aren't familiar, that, that was a, a, you know, just a watershed moment in yep. New York City in the 1960s where and there had been numerous psychological studies on it so forth where where the victim, Kitty Genovese, was, you know, murdered uh, in, in a street side encounter in Queens. And, and no one called 911. No one no one ran to her aid. Uh, I didn't say the 911 system back there. But but, but basically, every, everyone just, just turned a blind eye to it. And, and it, you know, for, for decades, people said, you know, how, how could this happen? Well, if you look at this case and you look at the plight of my client who, you know, didn't turn a blind eye and stepped up to protect himself and, and the others on the train and now finds himself in this predicament. Well, you know, it's very easy to, to see a situation where when the next incident comes, you know, no one does anything. Absolutely. By the way, what's happened to the other guys? Remember, there are the two other guys that were holding Jordan Neely down. And I, I've told everybody, clearly the people on the subway felt the threat was the homeless guy, Jordan Neely, because they were helping your client, the Marine Daniel Penny, hold him down. Yeah, what happened to the other yeah, two guys? What, yeah, what happened with them? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, some of these questions, you know, obviously are better opposed to the district attorney's office. We, 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 we through our investigation, we, we identified one of those individuals. We've we been in touch with him. Uh, he has a counsel, you know, but we've had no indication as to, uh, you know, what, what the district attorney's intention is there. I, I don't think that, uh, so far as we know, they don't intend on prosecuting anyone else other than our client. I don't want to see anybody else prosecuted. I don't want to see my own client prosecuted in this case. But that's um, interesting. But, you know, that's interesting that yeah. you don't see any indication that they're going after because you can why, contend why, why they're holding they, um, them pro- down. Why are they only prosecuting one person? It's either, well, three were standing on top of this guy. Yeah, I, I mean, again, John, you know, look, I don't want to, I don't want to make it look like I'm campaigning to see anyone else prosecuted, and I'm not. I don't think anyone should be prosecuted. I don't case. think. By the way, I don't think anybody should have been prosecuted. Um, and we're yeah. going to give your client a ticket tape parade up, uh, up Fifth Avenue or wherever because he. I think he's a hero versus a, a, a criminal. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, did, I, you know, did you I'm hear, sorry, Thomas? No, you know, I was going to say to John's point, did you hear today the attorneys for uh, Jordan Neely's family came out? And afterwards, this was an amazing comment. I couldn't believe they said, they were like, they were saying everybody who donated to your client's defense fund, and it's close to three million bucks, as you know, um, a lot of, it's a give, send, go. Uh, you should get your money back. Uh, ask for a <laughs> refund because nothing's going to help. Uh, boy, they were really, they were fighting words we, there. Yeah, we, we won't post that to the Razor Kniff website. Hey, Tom, um, Tom, this is yeah. former Congressman Pete King. I have one big question for you. What have you heard about the toxicology report? Congressman, you were my congressman because I'm a Massapequa guy. Oh, my God. I'm oh. Seifert. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I grew up in Massapequa. You know, uh, what we've heard about the toxicology report and the, uh, the, the autopsy is there is, no, there is none yet. You know, uh, we keep hearing that the uh, medical examiner's office has a backlog of cases. Well, I mean, frankly, I, I've seen that in other cases I've handled as well. So it, it just doesn't exist yet as far as we're told. 
That's stunning. Uh, Judge Weinberg? Tom, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. I'm, hey, I'm very puzzled. Like just, uh, recently, I was, uh, not that long ago, I was standing before you. And you did a great job. <laughs> you did a great job. But I'm, I'm amazed. That back then. <laughs> I'm amazed in a case like this that they didn't put this at the top of the list to find that out. Because it's very, very important to know what the physical condition of this gentleman was and whether, in fact, this pressure was the proximate cause of, of the death. And they have an absolute obligation to dispel any illusions on this. They should be pressed on this, Tom. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, there, there is no question, as you know, Judge, that the defense is entitled to this. We're going to get it. If there is a delay that is, you know, inordinate, then that's something that we're going to have to take up with the court and will do so. I hope it doesn't come to that. But I, I think it also underscores, you know, why you, no one should read anything into the fact that the the, the grand jury indicted here. I mean, you know, indictment is mostly a procedural formality. It's evidence of nothing. That's one of the first things jurors hear when they walk into a courtroom for a criminal trial. And we know that we have a, we had a grand jury presentment here where, you know, critical evidence, and we're talking the autopsy report, the toxicology, well, couldn't have even been presented because it wasn't available yet. So that's something that everyone should, should keep in mind. So where does the case go from here? And, and any sense of the timeline? Because again, everybody, we're talking to the attorney for the former Marine Daniel Penny, of course, tied to the subway chokehold death, uh, the case that everybody around the country is talking about. Give us a sense of the timeline here, uh, Thomas. Yeah, criminal cases, you know, especially ones like this, are, are you know, are marathons, not sprints. So, for instance, uh, we're in court today, Judge Wiley. I mean, the next court date is October 25th. So we're going out, uh, you know, three, four months already. And that's just really for return on motion practice. So what's going to happen between now and then is we're going to get discovery, hopefully all the discovery pretty soon. There'll be a, a litany of written motions that'll be submitted to the court challenging the sufficiency of the grand jury presentation and many other issues. So, um, you know, we'll get, get a decision on that in October. And at that point, you know, it'll probably be a date for hearings. I don't foresee any circumstance where this case could be tried, you know, any time before well into next so year. So, Counselor Ed Cox here, how is your client holding up all this? How's he doing? You know, he, he's doing as well as as well as anyone could expect under the circumstances, a hell of a lot better than I'd be doing uh, if I was in his shoes. You know, this is someone as okay. a teenager who took an oath to defend the, the, the Constitution of the United States and, and entered the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, so he obviously has a different type of medal than the average person. That's and, for uh, sure. Well, before. we got to go on. You know, Thomas, keep Thank working you. hard for the Marine Daniel Penny. We're going to give him a ticket tape parade. Thank you so much for calling in. What is today is Governor David Patterson, and he reports to us every Sunday and, and tells us what the heck is going on in the Democratic Party, what's going on uh, in New York, the, the country. Good morning, uh, Governor uh, uh, Patterson, and uh, happy Fourth of July weekend. Well, happy Fourth of July weekend to you too, John. Last week we had the primaries and most of the favorite won, but there was one major upset, and it was in the ninth councilmanic district in Harlem, where Inez Dickens, the current assemblywoman, was trying to go back to the city council and was beaten two to one uh, by Yousef Salam. Uh, who was one of the convicted five boys in the Central Park jogger case. And Inez Dickens is a very good friend of mine. I endorsed her. And she's a friend of mine. Yeah. And she, I thought, had outstanding service. And she's still going to give us outstanding service because she's still in the assembly. But there were some 
trepidation about Mr. Salam that I would like to clear up this morning, because Mr. Salam, of course, was 15 years old at the time of that particular incident. While he was being detained by the police, he had a big brother from the Big Brother program. And John, you might even know his name. His name is David Nascenti. He was counseled to Governor Elliot Spitzer, and he was counseled to me. So uh, Yusuf Salam's mother, who was in Keith Wright's political club, asked David Nascenti to please go and get her son out of custody, you know, to get him out of jail. So he goes down there. They will not let him see him. Now, if a person gets arrested and they don't ask for a lawyer, there's no mandate on the police that uh, they have to get a lawyer for them. But if a person gets arrested who's a minor and a lawyer comes, they're supposed to act, and they didn't. And that was the beginning of a lot of mistakes they made and a lot of uh, decisions that they reached without, you know, proper, uh, uh, you know, investigation. And those kids went away for a long time. Thirteen years later... A man by the name of Matias Reyes, who was already in prison on another brutal crime, confessed to the fact that he was the rapist in Central Park. His was the only D- DNA that matched the victim. Were two, wow, so, uh, so the kid was really innocent. Yeah, uh, he was. And his, his DNA, uh, none of the five boys' DNA was on the victim. There, uh, there was one DNA uh, that was a significant other, so we understand that. But then there was always one DNA that was not accounted for. Once he did that, it set in motion action by the uh, New York County District Attorney's Office, the late Robert Mor- Morgenthau, where they set aside the verdict and they released the, uh, the young men. Now, uh, this uh, gentleman went to Georgia where he got his GED. He got his college education. He now has his master's. And he came to see me uh, while he was running for this seat. I didn't think he had a chance, but I, you know, gave him the meeting. And uh, I learned that he is not in favor of defunding the police. He is not. He himself, he said, obviously had anger toward the police when he was incarcerated. But uh, he's kind of turned to religion since he got out. And he said he doesn't feel that way. And he likes these situations where the police interact with the community like the PAL. So, so, so Governor, Governor, you know, I believe in common sense. Uh, who has more common sense on a scale of one to ten? Inez Dinkins or our new, uh, our new uh, city councilman? I would say that Inez Dickens uh, has been an outstanding uh, elected official and a great human being. I think this young man has something in him, even when I was meeting with him, I got the feeling I was meeting with a person that has great ability. And since he was victimized once, I want to make sure he's not victimized again and that everybody gives him a fair shake when he starts his role as a city councilman. Okay, I mean, the only thing I want is law and order and and, uh, and making sure we get New York back to, to being a great city like it always was. Well, believe me, uh, I think that uh, that's, you know, in, if he had said anything that was in any way particularly radical or started uh, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter or anything like that, uh, I think you would have read about it. But that wasn't the case. That's not who he is. His, the person who selected him to run is Keith Wright, the assemblyman. He's a common sense Democrat. He works with Sid Davidoff. And uh, his uh, mother was in uh, Keith Wright's political club, and he used to go to the meetings as a little kid. So there's uh, all the reason to give him the benefit of any doubt and uh, get behind him as he begins his public service. Understood. Uh, so that... that um I mean, I think you gave a lot of great revelations to everybody. 
since the other guy's DNA matched, that means the kid is definitely innocent. Yeah. Uh, w- was he, uh, was he on the scene? No, none of them were. In fact, one of the five that was convicted wasn't even in Central Park at the time. He went down with his friend who was being questioned by police. They started questioning him about the park, and he didn't understand what they were saying. And they asked him, were you in the park? And he said yes. But he actually wasn't in the park. Uh, there were all kinds of mistakes made in the what, attempt. Uh, you know what? It, Governor, it was what a park. tragedy. What a tragedy yeah. to these kids. And, and by the way, John, the Central Park jogger, and her name is now known, Trisha Miley, she and I served together on the board of Achilles. That's the running club for the disabled. And she was interviewed in a special they did on her on, on NBC about 10 years ago. And she said there were two crimes committed in this situation. One was what happened to me, and one was what happened to the people who didn't attack me. So she understands that, you know, in some of the other documentaries, they take shots at her, which I thought was totally out of line. Wow. But, Governor, but, uh, I, I, I insist maybe you can get her to come on to one of our shows in the future because this uh, this story is such a tragic story. It has to be told over and over because innocent people should not go to jail. Yeah, she's a wonderful woman. She lives in Florida. She's still part of our organization, and I'll talk to her about that. I'm sure she'll do it. Well, thank you. And, Governor, have a great Fourth uh, of July weekend, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. So far, so good, John. Thank you. Take care. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. America! What is today is uh, Congressman Peter King. And in the Congress for 28 years, knows every function of Congress, and is a great American and in, in, in is concerned about America for our kids and grandkids. Congressman King, uh, what keeps you up at night these days? John, I would say in many ways it's how our country is changing and not for the better. Listen, I realize the times are always going to change. Uh, the country is never going to be the same it was when we were growing up or our fathers or our grandfathers. But despite the changes over the years, it's always kept its basic fabric or its basic beliefs. But I just think now we're going off the deep end. Uh, everyone becomes a victim. Everyone becomes entitled to something. And uh, I, for instance, I fully support the Supreme Court decision, even though there's such a backlash against it, uh, as far as college admissions, as far as saying that race should not be the factor. Uh, you should find ways to get most qualified students in, and you can use different ways to uh, determine that. If you're a poor white kid growing up in Appalachia, and you and your parents work hard, your grades may not be as high as a person who went to a private school, but I can see that person being admitted in when you look at the whole picture. Same with a person who's brought up in the inner city, but not because they happen to be black or happen to be white, depending on their life experience. That, that can be factored in, but over the last 20, 25, 30 years uh, with, with colleges, it seems they just check the box. They have to get so many people of color in, and so there's many you know, white kids uh, being rejected for that reason or other, or very qualified, certainly eight Asian kids were being rejected. And also, I think it's unfair to, you know, the, you know, the black community. They're being somehow uh, branded as only getting in because of, of their race. So it doesn't really help anyone. And I think uh, I, was, I would have no problem if the class school was 50% black or 100% black. As long as you're getting the most qualified people and you can determine qualifications in a different way. It doesn't have to be SAT scores. It doesn't have to be a highest grade average. If you're coming from a very poor background and you've worked your way up, I can understand why your grades may not be as high, but you'd still be qualified to enter the school, but I think John Roberts, 
the chief justice was right when he said you don't uh, end discrimination by creating racial discrimination. And we think of all those Asian young people, men and women, who were kept out of school because they were Asian. I mean, that's you know not being admitted to college. That that is racism. Just like back in the 1920s when Jews uh, were being rejected because uh, they figured there were too many Jews coming into the school. They were too qualified. That's insane. We can't go back to that. So I think the Supreme Court is taking us in the right direction on that. If you listen to the mainstream media, this means that the Supreme Court doesn't want blacks to go to school, doesn't want uh, Hispanics to go to school. It's the exact opposite. They want them to get the best possible education. And for the people who claim they're so concerned about minorities, then they shouldn't be uh, uh, tying the hands of the cops who do more to protect all people, black and white and brown, than anyone else. And they should have better schools for the kids, have more charter schools. You can support organizations like PAL, PAF, you're involved in working within the community. So anyway, I just hope that we can stop the trend that's going in the wrong direction and maybe try to reverse it a bit. Congressman, I agree with you, and I had a problem. When I was growing up, since I came to America six months old, my parents spoke uh, Greek at home. So English was almost my second language, and when I was taking the SATs, my uh, English SAT was like in the 400s, but my math SAT was like 790. So that's what I worried about when going, trying to get into college. And and it's there's got to be, I, I guess the, the colleges have to have a little bit of discretion, but not be prejudiced against any one group. Right. Uh, for instance, it was right to, certainly right to let you in. You were an immigrant yourself. You were obviously a son of immigrants, and you had overcome a lot, but not let you in because you happen to be Greek, but you happen to come from an immigrant community where you had to work your way up and you showed that you were qualified. That's the way it should be done, not just to check off a box because of a person's Irish, Italian, Greek, black, white, brown, Hispanic, whatever. It's just that, that, that whole idea of categorizing people by race, I think, is dangerous. It creates resentment, and you don't get the best qualified people. And speaking of best qualified people who are black, I'm looking at the outgoing police commissioner. She stepped down just the other day. Keyshawn Sewell was a female. She's black. She's, to me, as qualified as anyone I, I've ever seen. And that's the person who uh, is more, was more than qualified to be the NYPD commissioner. It was too bad she really wasn't given the opportunity to really demonstrate all, all her ability. But I give her credit. She was really a, a great asset to New York, and she's going to be very much missed by the people of New York City. A hundred percent agreed to. There's been so many uh, Supreme Court decisions lately. The other one that happened on Friday uh, was the Supreme Court decision on uh, on the figure forgiveness of student loans. What say you about that? Yeah, I, I support that decision, John, because, uh, listen, to me, the student loans have gone too high. It's a real burden on people. But if that's going to be addressed, it should have been through legislation. You can't have the president of the United States by an executive order, uh, just by unitary action, spending uh, actually in effect, a $400 billion uh, deal where he was by uh, forgiving those loans, that's $400 billion that was going to be basically you know, missed from the Treasury. And he, that is wrong. That this is not a dictatorship. If that was going to be done in any way, you should have had hearings. It should have been done. And it should have everybody in, all the interested parties, find a way that that can be addressed. But also, how about the person who, when they were 18, decided that they were not going to college? Maybe they couldn't afford it. Maybe it just they had different family obligations. They went out and they formed a business. They took out loans. You know, for their business to get there, whether they could be in agriculture or machinery or whatever. And, uh, you know, why does the person who went to college and got the benefit of a college education get their loan forgiven, but the guy or the woman who went out and formed their own business and ran up large debt to get that business going, they don't get their, that forgiven. So to me, it, there was a lot of arbitrariness about it. If, if it's initially going to be addressed, to me, it should be done in a 
total way. It should be done in Congress. You can't have one person, the president, just for giving $400 billion in debt like that. See, the only other problem as a sidebar, and I understand that we both agree 100% on both, as a sidebar is there was no red wave uh, because all the kids believe what the president said, whether they should have and shouldn't have. They want to believe in what the president says. And 26 million applications were filed. And I guess all these people voted Democratic because they wanted their $10,000. It, it certainly worked for the president. You know, the irony is that in the Supreme Court decision, they quoted Nancy Pelosi and I believe also President uh, uh, Biden, who had both said that they couldn't be, they couldn't do it. Originally, Nancy Pelosi said we can't do this because it's uh, it'd be illegal. Only the Congress can do it. The president can't do it. President said I like to do it, but I can't because it's illegal. And then he went ahead and did it. I, I think it was really cheap politics by the president. Listen, I don't blame if I was 24 years old and I owed a lot of money and suddenly the president's going to give me ten thousand dollars. I'd vote for the guy that might give it back to me. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I mean. The president, to me, was really uh, cheap politics. He did it. And and way he was cool, because he had to know that without even getting into the merits or whether or not the money should be returned, he had no right to do it. I mean, we we are a nation of laws. You can't have one person deciding on his own to give. On $400 billion. $400 billion, yeah. I mean, that's a big number, especially when we're trying to get inflation down. We're trying to get the economy going again. We're coming out of COVID, and every dollar is being watched or should be watched. Just tell me about a $400 billion item appear because of an arbitrary decision by the president. To me, that was wrong. So I think the Supreme Court I agree. Did, you know, did the right thing. Yeah. Well, also, Congressman uh, Peter King. Let me just say, yes. as a Notre Dame Law School graduate, and my daughter went to school with Amy Coney Barrett. She wrote a concurring opinion in that case, which I think was brilliant. So I'll take some credit for that. And you can take credit for NYU and Brooklyn Tech. Okay. Uh, thank you, Congressman King. Have a great Fourth of July weekend, and uh, uh, and we uh, we hope the God bless America. Uh, God bless America, right. Fourth of July, the greatest country in the world. And I will see you tomorrow night, Monday night, at the studio. Sounds good. I'll see you then. What is today on 4th of July is Senator Alphonse D'Amato and one of the best senators uh, New York State has ever had. Senator D'Amato, a happy 4th of July. In, in Thursday and Friday, there were uh, Supreme Court rulings. Uh, and uh, I wanted to get your take on it because you, you're one common sense individual. And uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, first of all, on, on the... Harvard case with the uh, uh, with the kids uh, of going to going to school or being exempted from school or you, you explain it to well, the average American better than I do. Well, let me say this to you: what the court did is it ruled uh, that schools like Harvard had a very discriminatory program, so that students were not being admitted on the basis of their ability. Now, it's one thing to say we want minority students. We want to see that all of them get an opportunity. But it's another thing. For example, if you were Asian and you were way at the top, you, you had a, a perfect scores, many of them were not getting in. And you had others who had scores who are much, much lower, who were getting in, who were minorities. Well, we want to give minorities an opportunity, but you don't do it at the expense of other minorities, and you don't do it at the expense of other students who are doing well and just drop out. And if you looked at the numbers, the disparity was incredible. You had Asian students who were doing so fantastically well in other minority students. And guess what? 
more other minority students were getting in than the Asian students who were superior in, in terms of their scores. Now, America is about giving people an opportunity, but it's not about discriminating against people because they're white, because they're Asian, or because of their color. You take people because of their ability. But the Supreme Court was right in saying you can't do it. You're going too far. It's one thing to have a program where you allow a certain percentage of minorities in, but it's another thing when you absolutely have a program that is tilted so badly that you have a two-to-one ratio of minorities who are way below academically getting in over other minorities, like the Asian community. The Asians were the ones who really brought this case. So the Supreme Court did the right thing. They said, no, you're going to do it on the basis of people's ability. You just cannot say, well, because you're a minority, we're going to let you come in, notwithstanding that your grades are way below. And, and that's what they did there. Now everybody's screaming and yelling and the left wing. They're all full of nonsense. They're wrong. The Supreme Court did the right thing. I think we want people on the basis of their ability and not on the basis of their background, their economic background, their cultural background, etc., but on the basis of their ability. That's what this country is about. Fairness. I agree with you. Fairness. And, uh, you know, when I was going to, uh, to go to college, I worried about getting into school because uh, my English was not as good as... Uh, uh, as other mm-hmm. people, because it was my second language. Uh, but, yeah. Senator, yeah. also what happened on on Friday, it seems like uh, the Supreme Court uh, said it's not – the President of the United States cannot say he's forgiving $400 billion oh. worth of, uh, uh, of a student loans. It has to go uh, normal course of business through the Congress. Well, and and, and what's a bigger all- problem – What's the bigger problem is he used that dialogue to get uh, 26 million students uh, the idea that he's going to do it for them. Yeah. And guess what? More politics. To sign More them politics. up, he had 26 million people that he signed up, kids, that were going to give you up to $20,000 of taxpayers' money. And by the way, what about the hardworking middle-class families? They mortgage their homes to send their kids to school. And we have to be paying, these families have to be paying billions of dollars, billions of dollars that, that you're giving away. Uh, somebody has to pay for it. Well, it's the other taxpayers. And the court said you can't do that. Well, of course, Biden's out there now campaigning. Oh, you know, 26 million uh, uh, kids uh, signed up for this. Sure, I promise to give you ten to $20,000 uh, for nothing. You don't have to pay, but somebody's got to pay. The other taxpayers have to pay. The other working families that have to pay. Uh, those families that make uh, over $100,000 and don't qualify, they're paying for that. The debt goes up. We all pay for that. So Joe Biden is just campaigning. This is nothing more than cheap political theater at the country's expense. And the debt keeps going up. Inflation keeps going up. Prices keep going up. Why do you think? Borrow more, Joe. Borrow more. Promise more. And that's what he's doing. It's uh, I understand. The court did the right thing. No, I agree the court did the right thing. But all those students voted a certain way on uh, on um, November of 20, yeah. 2022 because they thought that 
the president of the United yeah. States promised them. And, and as I explained to yeah. our Republican friends, that's why there was no red wave. Well, that's one of the re- reasons there was no red wave. It's Joe and his nonsense about uh, giving hardworking people's mon- money away and buying votes uh, for himself. And, and it's understood. Uh, Senator Aldamato, we I got to go. Uh, we we hope you have a great Sunday and and a great Fourth uh, uh, of July weekend, and we'll catch up uh, real soon. Look forward to it, John. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Cast Roundtable. We'll be right back. Listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Ed Cox, New York State GOP chairman, and he has certain concerns of what's going on in our city, in our state. Uh, Ed Cox, uh, tell us what, what's keeping you up at night. Well, what's keeping me up at night is that we've got a uh, one party that controls all of Albany with super majorities in both houses of the legislature. They just finished their legislative season, and the laws are getting signed in, and, and, and the legislation is getting signed in the law. Budget, most important thing they do. Latest in uh, 13 years, it's two times, more than two times, uh, the budget of Florida, which is a larger state in population than ours. And in the next three fiscal years, the governor's own finance section saying there's going to 36 accumulated 36 billion dollar deficit coming down the pike at us. They made no changes to the criminal laws such as cash cashless bail that's causing crime in our streets. They've already killed New York's natural gas industry in the southern tier by banning completely. Now they're beginning to kill the use of natural gas by saying you can't have it and uh, new construction. They're making changes to our election laws that uh, will be challenged on constitutional basis, but they're trying to make sure that they keep their supermajorities by the changes in election laws for the next, uh, for, for as long as they want. So they control Albany absolutely with no other party challenging them. These are the kinds of problems that have come out of this legislative session. Now, the the uh, federal, uh, the Supreme Court also voted that, uh, and I know me and you discussed it, uh, about the federal elections should somehow be involved uh, in, and I know the Supreme Court has said in the past they don't want to get involved in redistricting, but if it affects federal elections or if it affects, uh, I mean, shouldn't they get involved? Yeah, they, they, they did, yeah, they have said that they are not going to get involved in partisan redistricting. They're going to leave that to the states. And uh, they also made it clear that the legislature, uh, under the U.S. Constitution, which says the legislature shall decide the time and method of elections in a, a, any state. But the Supreme Court said that's not exclusive of the legislature, that the state's highest the courts can, in fact, act on it. And as we did here in New York to reject the radical gerrymander that the Democrats tried to do and stump us only into four districts, four congressional districts, instead, because we got a special master ordered by the courts to draw 
new districts, fair districts, gerrymandered districts. We have 11 districts, which is a difference of 70, and that makes up the Republican majority in uh, in the House of Representatives. As you know, Chairman uh, Comer was here, and he kept making the point that without uh, that challenge and the seven extra seats that we have here in New York, he would not be uncovering all the scandals about the Biden family. You're, you're talking about Ch- Chairman McCarthy. Uh, uh, this was no. This was Chairman Comer of the Investigation Committee. Yes. Oh, know. I understand. Okay. You had him on your on your radio show. He made we were on. We were on together with him. Yes. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, it's a real coup to have him. Uh, well, Chairman McCarthy would not be chairman without uh, uh, without New York State because the way New York State voted. But this is going to affect what I'm saying is the Constitution or the Supreme Court ruling w- w- was done for normal course of business. But because it is supermajority, maybe that's not normal course of business. Well, <laughs> the, uh, they did do some... Uh, uh, Specific, there are specific laws such as the Voting Rights Act, and under that they did make rulings that provide for majority minority districts in Alabama and Louisiana that should end up adding a Democratic district to each of those two states. So they did, but that was under specific federal laws. It has nothing to do with the with partisan jury, uh, gerrymandering, which the Supreme Court said they're not going to touch it. Understood. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Well, yeah, the other bad legislation. They they are are making it hard to challenge the changes they made to election laws, which are going to benefit them in upcoming elections. Uh, you can only file those challenges in districts which uh, are Democratic, districts such as Albany and New York City, and therefore making sure that a democratically elected judge will be ruling on those challenges in the first instance. These are the kinds of things they're trying to do with all the power they have in Albany. We really need to have what is just common sense to have two parties actually uh, in power in Albany. And that's what the state party is going to be working towards over the next election cycle. Especially when it affects federal elections, uh, which affects the whole country. Well, Exactly. That's right. Ed Cox, chairman of New York State uh, GOP, thank you for your input and thank you. And we'll catch up again real soon and we'll see you in the studio soon. Always a pleasure, John. With us today is Steve Cates. Welcome to the 4th of July weekend. We also know him as Dr. Sky, and he is our in-house genius as far as when we look at the sky, what is up there? And we learn something new. When we look down in the bottom of the ocean, he knows about those things too. Steve Cates, happy 4th of July weekend. What's going on this weekend? Well, happy 4th of July to you, John, and the listeners. America's 247th birthday. But I thought I'd do the back of this program first. We always talk about what they, what people can see. And if people have an opportunity over the holiday weekend to look due south in the sky, maybe about 30 degrees high, there's a brilliant blue star called Spica, and it's in the constellation of Virgo. John, that star is about 247 light years away. What does that mean? It means as you're looking at that star, the sacred constitution of the United States was signed. And how about it, John? The light of that star just got here now, as if you're seeing that 
death star's light from when they signed the Constitution. I think that's totally amazing as we open up our minds on Sunday. What say you? Well, I mean, uh, those stars are up there. And uh, when we talk about stars, we talk about uh, millions of years. And uh, Christ was only born 2,000 years ago. Absolutely. And then we go on to something else, John, closer to home. Virgin Galactic, this past week, just launched their first commercial flight. Now, they've had a lot of difficulties. They've been trying to get commercial flights going to space since 2004. But this spaceship, too, actually launched with some Italian scientists and, of course, some people from uh, their company at Virgin Galactic. But, John, they have a backlog of 800 people that are now put down, I believe, some $450,000 each to take this 90-minute ride. So they went well above, say, 50 miles, where we believe space begins. But it's kind of interesting. But on a strange side, we should be asking you and maybe Larry Kudlow, after the successful mission, their stock fell this morning. It was at a high of about $62-plus back in 2021. But it went down 9.5% after the, today's flight. I, I'm kind of miffed on that. What, what, what do you think? That's kind of interesting. Well, I'll tell you what I think, that uh, after this experimental or whatever you want to call it, a deep dive in the Titan, uh, maybe billionaires are a little bit more nervous about going up into uh, uh, new type aircraft or new type submarines, whether you're going up or whether you're going down. Well, you know, it makes sense, John. And I know, like, you know, you know, due respect to Virgin Galactic, they've tried. They've had a few, you know, serious accidents where they lost some people. So maybe there's the answer right in front of us that until we can maybe guarantee, and who knows, there's no guarantees in life. But maybe like we talked about last week when we had this particular Titan craft, we obviously have to have some better controls over the testing and some regulations. You know, even Elon Musk, when he launches his giant, you know, Starship rocket, we know that that one didn't go off too well. But there were so many concerns by the EPA, but I think we can all work together and maybe hopefully figure this thing out because space is, of course, the next frontier. But John, we always have the mystery of the week, and here's something bizarre. Back in 1976, America sent these Viking spacecraft. They landed on Mars. Two very successful missions. But it's true, we might have killed life that we might have detected on Mars. What's that? The particular Viking found some chlorinated organics, you know, little complex molecules. And what we did, the spacecraft added water to it. And that, they say, might have killed whatever that type of life was because we thought that that was contamination that was on board the spacecraft from the Earth. But that's interesting because we've never had that situation occur, at least now, with the new rovers. But, John, you know, this is a great subject to talk about. Hopefully they'll find some organic life, and we may have found it. And once again, we might have uh, unintentionally destroyed it. I think that story is, is most amazing. Well, I, I believe that life exists in many, many, many places. And uh, the question is, uh, intelligent life, I'm sure it's someplace, and uh uh, you know, uh, uh, whether it's the uh, Cleons or whether it's the uh, <laughs> whatever, but um, yeah. it probably does exist somewhere. And I hope in our lifetime, uh, Steve Cates, me and you, our lifetime, that we're able to find out the truth. Totally agree, John. And in closing, some things that people can see in addition to talking about that star Spica, which, of course, when you see it, the light left when the Constitution was signed. We find Venus and Mars in the northwest, John. They're going to conjunct on July 1st, about three degrees apart. That's a beautiful sight. But even more spectacular is the first of three months of supermoons. So as you're looking to the sky tonight, 
Sunday, that beautiful full buck moon that you see rising. The supermoon, John, is when the moon is closest to the Earth, and it also lies at a position when it's exactly full. So if by chance you look at the moon tonight and into Monday, and it looks a little bigger and brighter, it truly is. We get two full moons, two supermoons in August, and then the most beautiful one, in my opinion, is the supermoon that we have in September on the 29th. Obviously, John, the beautiful full harvest moon. We always like to keep our minds open and expand them. One one sidebar question. A couple days ago, uh, the Coast Guard brought up some pieces of the Titan which they felt that they had some human uh, genes on him. Have you heard anything more about that? And what kind of equipment does the Coast Guard have to go that far down to retreat? John, it's fascinating. And again, I think we talked last week about how many of these secrets. They knew when this imploded, they didn't share it with the audience because I'm sure our Navy has so many sophisticated ways to track objects. But I'm even more amazed that they pulled that they actually have hard remains of this. It's still speculative, and I don't have a confirmation that there's human remains on there. Because the sad story, we want to be positive on Sunday mornings, but the reality is when that imploded, the temperatures inside there momentarily for a microsecond literally just vaporized everything, and that means all of the you know human body parts. But we really don't know, and we'll keep our minds open and try to explore more, but it's a, such a horrific way to go, and obviously if we get these certifications to test these kind of craft, maybe future generations can do this. But I don't know for sure, John, if they actually found human remains at point. Some speculate, but speculate is not fact. Well, thank you, uh, Steve Cates, and have a great Fourth of July weekend. God bless America. Thank you. God bless America. Thank you, John. Have a good day. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.